Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. The UN peacekeeping mission in Cyprus was first established in 1964 to prevent communal violence between the Greek Cypriot and Turkish Cypriot communities. Ten years later, in 1974, the mission expanded further to its current form. At the time, the Turkish military had invaded Cyprus in response to a coup on the island. Peacekeepers deployed to maintain a fragile ceasefire, and to this day, there are still over 1,200 personnel deployed to the UN peacekeeping force in Cyprus. On the line to explain why this peacekeeping mission is still needed after all these years is Peter Yeo. He is president of the Better World Campaign and senior vice president of the United Nations Foundation. Peter Yeo is a veteran observer of UN peacekeeping who recently visited the mission in Cyprus. We kick off discussing the history of the mission before having a broader conversation about its still relevant work after all these years. As I mentioned in this conversation, the UN peacekeeping mission in Cyprus is not something I've covered extensively over my many years covering the UN. And I think reflecting now, that's largely due to the fact that the peacekeeping mission does a very decent job of preventing disputes from turning into the kind of conflict that would demand international media coverage. Anyway, I learned a lot from this conversation. I suspect you will too. And now here is Peter Yeo, president of the Better World Campaign and senior vice president at the United Nations Foundation. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Conflict in Cyprus is really derivative of the differences between the Greek Cypriot and the Turkish Cypriot communities. These differences are not new. They frankly have been going on for centuries, Uh, but they really came to head in 1974 when there was a coup uh, in uh, Cyprus uh, uh, that was followed very shortly thereafter by a Turkish government invasion of the northern part of Cyprus which is sort of the more Turkish Cypriot part of the island. And so ever since 1974, we have experienced a divided island uh, between the Turkish Cypriot and the Greek Cypriot communities. It's frustrating because most Turkish Cypriots and most Greek Cypriots view themselves first and foremost as Cypriots. They were born in Cyprus, they were raised on Cyprus, and there's a lot that brings them together. Uh, But these differences that exist between the Greek and Turkish communities are not new and, um, and really have been driving the conflict there for quite a long time. And in fact, 
I think are getting worse, not better. Oh, we'll we'll get into that in a minute. So when did peacekeepers deploy and what were they intended to do? You know, the peacekeepers uh, deployed in and around uh, the invasion. And the goal was to separate um, the Turkish Cypriot and Greek Cypriot communities and to patrol the demilitarized zone uh, that separates the northern part of Cyprus and the southern part of Cyprus. And in some places, it's meters wide, the, this demilitarized zone uh, in Nicosia, the capital, uh, or the traditional capital, the difference is uh, just meters wide. But in um, other parts of the demilitarized zones, it's several kilometers wide. So they were deployed to not only prevent the two communities from fighting and resuming fighting, but also to engage in these sort of trust-building exercises designed to keep lanes of communication and dialogue open between the Greek and and Turkish Cypriot communities. If there's ever going to be a solution uh, to this crisis, uh, you have to have a generation of Cypriots that actually know somebody on the other side and are used to dealing with somebody on the other side. And the UN has a lot of activities designed to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, it seems it was deployed in almost like the most classical kind of peacekeeping mission you could imagine, just sort of to provide a buffer between two fighting parties to give them, you know, breathing space to let uh, peace or at least uh, a non-aggression take hold. Uh, what does the mission look like today? How many peacekeepers are we talking about? And what is their day-to-day work, you know, today in, in 2021? Well, let me first pick up in your first point, which is that um, that I do think that when people think about peacekeeping, they actually think about uh, the type of peacekeeping mission that occurs in Cyprus. Um, as Old well school as, peacekeeping. Yeah, that, that is classical peacekeeping. I mean, and there's a similar mission in Kashmir that is classical peacekeeping, which is basically there is a peace. It may be a tenuous peace, but there is a peace to keep. And the goal is to keep conflicting parties away from each other and from allowing misunderstandings to escalate and tensions to escalate so that there uh, is a resumption of conflict. That's classical peacekeeping. That's not where most peacekeeping is today. Uh, It's much more kinetic and focused on uh, civilian protection. But I think when you look at Cyprus, it's a classic peacekeeping mission. And when you look at what the thousand plus peacekeepers in Cyprus do today, um, you know, they are uh, patrolling the border, uh, the, the demilitarized zone, the buffer zone on foot, in trucks, in the air. Their goal is to, a lot of farmers are living in the uh, buffer zone, and they're trying to avoid any changes to the status quo so that the, you know, more land is not taken than prior or in Nicosia, which is very narrow, they're trying to avoid a situation where conflicts and disagreements uh, in Nicosia spill over uh, in, and lead to a um, much broader conflict. Frankly, we can't risk a conflict since both Greece and, and, and Turkey are NATO members. So, um, yeah, that's it, it's sort of a lot of patrolling, 
Um, and then a lot of uh, confidence building measures that is done by the political staff, everything from returning the remains of Turkish Cypriots and Greek Cypriots that were killed during the 1974 conflict, returning them to their families, which is important to bring some cl uh, closure. They also work on these technical committees that, for instance, uh, work on policing to ensure that criminals can't Conduct, uh, you know, commit a crime in a northern part of the uh, northern part of Cyprus and flee to the southern part of Cyprus and avoid uh, any uh, prosecution mm -hmm. and arrest. So these technical committees uh, really do an important job in terms of, um, you know, uh, building confidence and trust over time. I mean, it sounds based on what you're describing that a lot of this work revolves around managing what are very like local and like low level disputes, say like over a farmer's land, capturing a criminal that's fled from one side or to another as a way to prevent these like kind of very local disputes from turning into broader conflict. Oh, it's completely true. I mean, it's not particularly sexy. There's no guns. There's no fighting. It's just plain old fashioned peace peacemaking, you know, peacemaking and trying to make sure that, um, you know, um, if somebody's building a new shed to store the soccer equipment um, at, uh, you know, a particular school that's right on the buffer zone, that uh, they don't expand the size of the shed, you know, but yet that's important, that's necessary um, in order to, um you know, avoid a situation where either side feels that the other side is encroaching upon them, is taking advantage of them, all of which could lead to significant increases in tension and the potential resumption of conflict. And you think after having visited there that peacekeepers are necessary for that to play that role still so many decades later? Oh, absolutely. We talked to the people in the diplomatic community, we talked to both, you know, Greek and Turkish Cypriots, and it is quite clear that they uh, want the peacekeepers to remain and that, you know, as one unnamed diplomat said to us, there would be war within a week if the UN peacekeepers were not there. And so, yes, I absolutely believe that, um, you know, it's valuable and important that the peacekeepers remain, even though it's just a thousand of them, even though they're not in terribly high profile, their work is important. Um, and frankly, it's a bargain given what we pay for the peacekeeping mission in Cyprus. Uh, it's a bargain to ensure continued peace between uh, not only the Greek and Turkish separate communities, but between Greece and Turkey. You know, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I've covered the UN since 2005, and I will admit I have not given a lot of thought to peacekeeping in Cyprus. Uh, probably, you know, because the reasons you described, there's there's no conflict there. There hasn't been a hot conflict there, uh, and it really doesn't make headlines because it seems that the peacekeepers are doing their jobs and managing those low level disputes before they turn into broader conflict. Well, I've been working on UN. UN peacekeeping issues for a couple decades now. And the number of times people have said to me, let's just get rid of these longstanding peacekeeping missions. Surely we can do that, right? Um, and yet when you peel the onion and understand 
why the peacekeepers are still in Cyprus, it's far more complicated than you think. And, um, you know, you're definitely left with the impression that there's a continued role for UN peacekeepers in Cyprus and particularly since I think the tensions are going to get worse, not better, you know, in the foreseeable future. I I want to get back to that, that question you just raised, that issues just raised about um, tensions being worse, but not better. But I want to pick up on your spot about these kind of other, you know, decades on missions, you know, I'm thinking, um, as you said, Jammu Kashmir or Sinai or Golan and and Cyprus. I mean, you compare that to other peacekeeping missions uh, that have ended, uh, sometimes successfully ended like Liberia or Sierra Leone or like El Salvador. Sometimes they're kind of forced to close for political reasons, but then you have these kind of, you know, forever missions, uh, that you just described that do seem, as you say, to be playing like an important role in maintaining international peace and security, even though we don't think about them very much. Well, and I've been to the mission in Golan and I've, you know, on the Golan Heights and, um, and it's yet another example of people say, well, certainly we can get rid of the mission in Golan. And yet um, when you talk to government of Israel officials and you talk to people that li- are living on the Golan, they see the role of peacekeepers as pretty important in terms of um, being that uh, neutral party that is actually controlling uh, whether, you know, people cross or don't cross into the Golan. So um, much maligned and yet much important Mm -hmm. and very important at the same time. So why do you think that the situation on the ground in Cyprus is poised to get worse? I think the challenge is, is that the uh, political situation in Turkey is constantly changing. I think that Erdogan, um, you know, loves to appeal to nationalist instincts within his own country. And um, Cyprus uh, and the uh, Turkish part of Cyprus is part of that appeal to nationalism. And um, I think that the potential flashpoint is around, uh, you know, uh, a part of um, Famagusta, uh, the city of Famagusta called Verosha. And just to back up for a second, Verosha uh, was uh, a largely Greek-owned tourist resort back in the day. Yeah, like the stars would go there, right? The stars, like, yeah, the yeah, stars. Like would go in and all that, yeah. Yeah, and, and for the past, since 1974, it's been frozen in time, largely, with the hotels empty and frozen and the lobbies and empty and the car dealerships with cars in the lobby from the 1974. You know, that's Verosha. Um, but the Turkish Cypriots, together with the Turkish government, have taken steps to remove control of Verosha from the military to civilians, and then are talking about, um, you know, over time, promoting civilian resettlement uh, into Verosha. They're already allowing more, basically, tourists to go into Verosha to check things out. And that is causing um, a lot of uh, anger and angst um, uh, in the southern part of in the Republic of Cyprus, uh, among the Greek Cypriot communities who feel that the Turks are trying to create new facts on the ground uh, and to uh, basically make sure that Verosha now and forever will be part of Turkey and the northern part of, of Cyprus. So 
this is going to get um, worse before it gets better. And uh, so I know that uh, the UN peacekeeping operation in, in Cyprus is very focused on this. Uh, and, um, you know, but I think ultimately what's going to solve the situation in Verosha is, um, you know, um, broader peace uh, discussions and negotiations that are, again, sponsored by the United Nations um, between uh, the Greek and Turkish Cypriot communities. Um, and, uh, but uh, frankly, those are going nowhere fast. Well, I think well, the other thing, go ahead. No, 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 you go, you go ahead. I was just going to say the only other thing that's changed that's made it more challenging um, from a peacekeeping point of view is that there were elections in the northern part of Cyprus uh, a couple of years ago and the president, uh, so the so-called president of the northern Cyprus, um, very much believes that um, there should be a separate country and he only will uh, engage in negotiations if the rest of the world recognizes um, that uh, sovereign that the northern part of Cyprus is a sovereign nation, which the rest of the world is not going to do at this point in time. So that really does create problems in terms of a long-term peace um, to the island. Well, that kind of leads me to this idea that you know maybe in a way the success of the peacekeeping mission in terms of keeping a lid on conflict and preventing it from spiraling out of the control is actually a hindrance to broader political agreement. Like the status quo is like, okay, people aren't getting killed. It seems that this creates almost like a perverse incentive uh, in terms of there being any urgency around um, a broader peace negotiation or peace deal. Well, I, 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 you know, it is true that the the fact that the peacekeepers are there keeping, frankly, a lid on the situation definitely reduces the urgency of discussions. That said, the issues that are holding up a broader settlement between the Turkish and Greek Cypriot communities are so broad and built in Um and the geopolitical situation related to the conflict is so complex that um, I don't believe that the continued existence of the peacekeeping force is um, a hindrance to uh, a resumption of meaningful peace discussions. To, to, to do that, you're going to really have to um, work in Greece and Turkey and, frankly, in the UN Security Council members um, who are very supportive of the Greek Cypriot community to find a way to a, a way forward in terms of peace discussions. The secretary general has invested, you know, um, his personal time on this. He recently met with the heads of the Greek and Turkish Cypriot communities in New York on the margins of Unga. So it's not for lack of trying, uh, but um, I think that um, we can't fix the challenge, which is that the major international players, members of the Security Council, do not view Cyprus as a top 10 foreign policy and national security priority. And as long as that remains the case, then, um, uh, you know, we're going to continue to see, um, you know, uh, a lack of real meaningful progress um, in terms of resolving the Cyprus conflict. Uh, Well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. This is very helpful. My pleasure. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Peter Yo. 
And if you are a regular listener to the podcast, I do suggest, recommend, request that you leave a review of the show, particularly if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts. It's a helpful way of letting other people discover the show. I will see you next time. Bye.